Welcome to the Success in South Carolina podcast, where we will be hearing the untold stories of success from some of the top achievers in our home state of South Carolina. These neighbors of ours will also share their time-tested personal philosophies and solutions to inspire us, educate us, and help us find peace, joy, and love, along with a purpose, a mission, and a vision for our lives. And I'm your host, Jonathan Peoples. Our guest today lives in Greenville, South Carolina. She has an MA in community counseling, is certified as a Christian life coach, and is a licensed professional counselor in the state of South Carolina. She specializes in helping Christian women live more fully into their God-given identity and create a life of joy and abundance. She integrates the wisdom of scripture, the tool of the Enneagram, and modern neuroscience to help you take hold of the life you're designed to live. I am truly excited to share her story and her wisdom with all of our listeners. Welcome to the show, my friend, Katherine Davis. Hey, Katherine. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, Catherine, I got to tell you, I am excited to talk today. I remember when we first met, you were in middle school, I was in high school. You were the younger sister of one of my friends and uh, baseball teammates. But even at that time, you seemed like one of the happiest, most joyful kids. I remember your smile and your positive energy. So it does not blow me away that you're helping others get joy and peace in their lives. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I was checking your website. You used to do equine therapy? Yes, I did do equine therapy for a season and I really enjoyed that. And it eventually ended up not being the right fit for me right now. So I kind of transitioned out of that, but I really enjoyed that therapy. It was, it was fun. Is it equine or equine? I'm saying it wrong. I think you can say it either way. What does that even entail? So equine therapy uses horses to help people with emotional and mental health problems. Um, And the reason that they started doing equine therapy was because horses are prey animals. And so they are very attuned to their environment. And so they're attuned to us. So when you bring people into their space with them, they're going to, in a way, mirror what the person's going through or their emotions or kind of their energy that they're bringing. And they can bring things to light in a different way than just talk therapy can. So it's more of an experiential therapy. It's hands-on, but you use the horse's presence and you do different activities with the horse to help the person move forward in their life. So I assume this only works with people who are not deathly afraid of horses. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess you would have to work through the fear of the horses before (laughs) going to be with them. So, yeah. So you've, and you've gone through a lot of pivots in your career and in your personal life. You've come across challenges, some obstacles in your life. I know on your website, you speak about getting stuck and going through the motions. Can you share some of your story with us and uh, those struggles, Catherine? Sure. So let me go back a little ways and explain that one of the reasons that I even got into counseling originally was because I had gone through counseling myself for um, an eating disorder that I had um, in college. And so that was one of the main challenges of my life that I overcame. And it goes really, that was, that was a big part, a big portion of what I overcame, but it started years before then that I had developed this, really this story of shame from childhood 
And so really that's where the original problem started and it ended up kind of manifesting later in a full, full on eating disorder. But that was really one of the main turning points for why I got into the work I do now, um, because my own experience overcoming that and recovering from that. And so, so you overcame this, you got some counseling yourself, and then you decided to go into that, or was that, was there more steps to the journey than just that? So there were more steps. I mean, I think, let me just backtrack and then it'll make a little more sense. So when I was young, like maybe second, third grade, I started realizing that I was taller and bigger than like ever all my peers. I don't know if I had a growth spurt or if I just started developing faster, but what I made that mean about me at that time was that something was wrong with me. Mm. Right. So I created this story that I was shameful, right. That I had some defect something I was lacking that everybody else didn't have. And so I created this story and continued on through my life, through my childhood, kind of acting on the outside, like everything was okay. Like you said, you saw me as this happy, bubbly child. And part of that was true, but I was hiding this inner shame. that Something was really wrong with me. And so no one knew the story I was carrying because it was too vulnerable to share with people. So I just kept it to myself and I would either try to be, I would try to perform to get approval and acceptance, or I would try to um, be perfect in certain ways. And what ended up happening is you carry the story for so long, it manifests in all these different ways. Yeah. And so high school, um, I struggled with unhealthy romantic relationships. I struggled with kind of yo-yo dieting and weight fluctuations. I struggled in college with alcohol use. And then I ended up developing a full-on eating disorder. I'm, I'm saying all this to explain that the story of shame that I carried was so deeply embedded in kind of my identity that it manifested in all these behaviors, right? That ended up in all these struggles. And I had really key turning points in college. And then after college where the Lord was like, this is not the life I have for you. You are in, in bondage to these things. And it really ended up feeling so empty that I, I, and I had key people kind of come alongside me and say, like, we want, we want you to see what's going on and that you can get free of this. And so I had really key turning points where I was like, it was a coming home, you know, it was a coming home to the Lord and being like, okay, like this doesn't work the way I'm living my life, the way I'm living in shame, it doesn't work anymore. And I want out of this. And so that is when, yes, I did seek help. I did seek a counselor, a nutritionist specifically for the eating disorder stuff and really began a recovery journey. Although it takes years to recover from, from things like that. Yeah. It's like, you can't change your, can't change your location overnight, but you can change your direction overnight. Yes. Yes. Something, something I'm very curious about Catherine, when something is an issue or a challenge creeps up or the shame story enters that early in someone's life over years, they keep pushing it down and it, it develops many, many layers. Like you said, it gets into every facet. How does someone as an adult even identify what that core story was, what that thing was that they need to even work on? Because sometimes it can, it, because it touches so many different things in life, we're, we're just dealing with symptoms and not necessarily the, the root cause. Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. 
as a child, you don't have the ability to see that you're seeing through that lens, right? You don't even have the ability to see like, oh yeah, this is a shame story I'm carrying. I think I'm defective. And I didn't even at that point have adults to help me because I wasn't even sharing it. I didn't even know how to share it. Right. Because they're, we're ashamed to share it, right? Yeah, exactly. So it really wasn't until I was an adult where I realized looking back and reflecting and really like the Lord showing me, this is a story you have carried for your whole life. Right. And, you know, then I had the awareness and the ability to say like, that no longer serves me in any form or fashion. I'm going to let go of that. Counseling really helped me kind of heal like the cracks in the foundation, like the wounds of childhood and messages I took in and the beliefs I took on really kind of healed the foundation where coaching really helped me form a new story, right? For and create, move forward in my life without the baggage from the past. So I know coaching there, people come hand, hand to hand, side by side with you and help you discover the truths you need to learn. What were some of the things that you learned through this journey from those challenges? So I think some of the lessons I learned were how to first manage my emotions, right? I don't think a lot of our parents' generations really understood emotions. And so we weren't really taught, you know, what do we do with them? And so that was one of the main things I learned is, okay, how do I deal with the feelings that come up for me without buffering, without self-sabotage? right? Without distracting myself, how do I just deal with my emotions? And that is a skill that you have to learn. So that was really key for me. Um, And some of the other lessons I learned was that the story is optional. Anything that happens in your past, you're going to make sense of it in a certain way, but you get to choose how you want to make sense of it. The past only exists in your mind. So yeah, the facts are there, whatever happened, happened, but how you make sense of it and what you make it mean as an adult is completely up to you. So is it helpful the way you're seeing it? Yeah. Or is there another way to see it? Yeah. And you talk about managing emotions and it it becomes a skill. How does someone even develop that skill? How do they, what advice would you give to someone who's having problems managing their emotions? I feel like this is an, this is an epidemic today is people not knowing how to manage their emotions. The first step is just to be aware So people without any vocabulary, we work on, usually I give them a list of feelings or a feelings wheel and we start to go, okay, how do you even name the emotion you're experiencing, right? So being able to give words to it, being able to notice where is it showing up in your body? Emotions are bodily sensations and experiences, right? That's how we know we're feeling something is usually our body is showing us. Your heart is fluttering when you're anxious, or you feel like you're buzzing with anxiety, or you got a pit in your stomach with dread or whatever it is, Like These are physical sensations. So being able to put some words around what you're experiencing, go, oh, okay, that's sadness or that's anxiety. And then because they're bodily sensations, we have to process them physically, So you can't, it's it's really difficult to think your way out of an emotion. It's way more effective to do something with your body to be able to process those emotions. So that might be, you need to jump up and down. You need to take a walk. You need to take a run. You need to do some breathing exercises. 
you need to walk, whatever it is, it's usually something physical in your body that will help you process the emotion. So it's not stuck, yeah. right? So it's not just stuck cycling, continuing to cycle and wreaking havoc. Yeah. And you mentioned that in your website is being stuck. I feel like a lot of people right now are stuck. Mm. I've been at different points in my life where I've been stuck. How do you, first of all, how do you identify that you are stuck? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's going to be different for everybody, but I, I use the word stuck. I use the word asleep a lot. And I think if we can get honest with ourselves and look at on my, in my day-to-day life, am I kind of falling asleep, which causes the feeling of stuckness, meaning are you living your life just kind of going through the motions? Are you buffering your emotions with like Netflix or eating or drinking or whatever, shopping, or even on the other side, you could be like a perfectionist or an overfunctioner. You're like, you can't stop. So you just keep doing more and more and more and filling up your calendar more and more and more because you're kind of addicted to busyness. That is, that is stuck, right? When you're kind of just operating from a default mode without being fully like awake or aware. Do you feel like that part of getting out of being stuck or even identifying you're being stuck is identifying some kind of purpose for your life somewhere that you're actually moving towards on some kind of journey, as opposed to just, I am where I am. And this is where I'm going to be. You know, I know people that are just, they graduated from high school, they've got their job and they're basically waiting to be buried, right? Mm. There's nothing, there's nothing else in their mind. There's no other vision. There's no other purpose is, do you feel like that's part of it getting unstuck or identifying it? Oh yeah, absolutely. God did not create us to just stall, to just cruise you know, through the rest of our life. I don't believe that's biblical at all. I feel like he gives us callings and he gives us purpose and meaning, but we have to be aware. There has to be an awareness of like, oh, I'm just cruising through life. I'm just stuck, but I want more because there, there usually is a drive in all of us that wants more and wants to contribute and be a part of a larger story. Usually is that there? But people aren't aware if they're just buffering all of that most of the time. There's usually a wake-up call. And either that's you going, oh, what am I doing with my life? You know, this isn't really what I want to be doing with my life. Or it's some kind of wake-up call that happens circumstantially to kind of wake you up and go, yeah, I got to make some changes. Mm, sometimes the pain is, the pain of staying in place is is more than the pain of change, right? Yes. I feel like that's when change happens because change is painful, right? Yes. Absolutely. Change is painful, but so is staying the same. Yeah. So is, so is staying where you are. You got to choose your pain. Right. <laughs> I feel like when, when the pain of staying in the same place becomes greater than the pain of change, that's when people actually make change most of the time. Yes. Uh, instead of those who proactively choose to, you know what, I'm going to go through that pain of change because on the other side, there's something great. You mentioned something about eating disorders. Mm-hmm. How does someone, how do you, how did you overcome that, Catherine? Eating disorders can be sneaky, right? So in my junior year of college, I I started like dieting, kind of really restrictive eating and then lost my grandfather. He was my first significant loss in my life. I moved to Switzerland to study abroad immediately after, and I had no idea how to process my grief. So what was a diet turned into severe restriction. I had no one in my life who really knew me because I was abroad with a bunch of strangers And that is a perfect breeding ground for an eating disorder because Mm. there's shame there. There's, it's easy to hide. It's easy to isolate. No one could see me what I was doing every day, working out extreme, extremely extreme amounts of time and 
not eating anything. So that was a perfect breeding ground for how mine developed. And everyone has different, a different story for that. But I was, when I came home and continued to like struggle, this was like a year or so after that, it really took my parents and some other loving mentors in my life that I trusted to confront me gently. And my parents honestly just gave me a list of symptoms that they printed off from the web, a website or something. And they said, you know, do you relate to any of these? And I read them and I said, well, not really. I said, maybe I'm, you know, a little obsessed about calories or something, but no, not really. But deep down when I was honest with myself, I was like, oh man, they, yeah, that's definitely it. It took, it took a while for me to come out of denial and to accept that I really had a problem, but there was a part of me that wanted freedom. Yeah. And so I was willing to see a counselor, to see a nutritionist and get help. Yeah. It takes strength to admit it takes strength to break out of that denial phase, you know, to stop burying something down that's been bringing you pain. Mm. Uh, so can you speak to how important our environment and even our association is? You, you mentioned I went away and that made it easier. It was a breeding ground for this, but then I came back and that's how things got fixed. Talk about our environment and our association and how important that is. Yeah. I think that we are made to be in community with people, right? Mm. I think anytime someone is isolated, not a good thing. I think having people around you and in your life that know you and that love you and that you can trust and having that kind of vulnerability is absolutely essential, right? Not just for eating disorders, but just in life in general, we need each other. That's how God designed us to be community for each other. So I'm so thankful for those people that, that really had to have courage and boldness to talk to me about it Yeah, and that love me enough to do that. And, uh, you know, kudos to you for, I know, I know I've got a huge ego. I feel like most people who are, who are pushing things down, probably have an ego that they have to battle with too, to get over that denial phase. How do you, how do you battle that ego? I definitely can relate to that. You know, the ego of feeling like exposed, like the ego that's like, oh no, they see you for what's, Mm -hmm. what's really there. But I was so lost in, in that place but I still had a strong faith that I would say it was God speaking to me through various ways, but knowing his voice was like, this is empty and this is not going to take you where you want to go or where I have for you. And so come home, you know, come home, get help, get healing. I've got way more for you than being stuck in this eating disorder. Yeah. You you talk about God a lot and it's on your website, God, Christian faith. Speak to how, how does the spiritual side of this, you know, we're all, we're all talking about the, the mental and then the psychological and the physical, but how talk about the spiritual side of all of these things. Well, from my perspective, God, if you don't understand as a Christian, if you don't understand your story as a subplot and God's great narrative, you will live a small life. You know, you will live a life that is centered on you and that it's, it's, it's actually going to feel very unfulfilling. We were made to live out our callings underneath God's great narrative. And that's really the foundation of thriving in life. And so, yeah, absolutely. I understand. And I work with people from a Christian perspective, because I think it's the most powerful and the most aligned 
with my own journey. So absolutely integrating and inviting the Holy Spirit into that process, I think is a total game changer. I don't know everything. I don't know everything that people need, you know, but he does. And so being able to to do that with him is incredible. Yeah. It's very empowering to be able to lean on infinite intelligence, omniscience. Like you said, I'm sitting there with a client. I may not know exactly what they need, but hopefully God will put the words in my mouth that they need to hear. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you mentioned God's great narrative. What is God's great narrative, Catherine? So I guess in a nutshell, God's great narrative is that he created everything and he created everything out of love. And then we fell away from that by choosing our way, which we call sin. But then really it's a beautiful love story because he is, he has continued to pursue us through Jesus Mm -hmm. to bring us back home to him because of his love for us. That is the, really the big story, right? And we get to, you know, our stories are a subplot, but they're very important, right? Because we matter to him and he, he invites us into the journey of bringing his kingdom here on earth. So yeah, starting there and being able to go, okay, this is God's great narrative. It's because he loves me and I, yeah, I'm broken, but there's so much redemption and beauty available not perfection, this side of heaven, but absolute transformation and beauty. And I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your your story and being so real with us and transparent. Let's shift a little bit here. I want to hear a little bit about your your wisdom. Your, you know, obviously, you've done a lot of study and a lot of learning. You've got certifications and you're a, a licensed counselor. Tell me a little bit about what first, I got a dumb question. Is it all right if I ask a dumb question? Yeah, of course. Explain Enneagram. I know what it is and I know the numbers, but I feel like most people don't understand that. And I don't even know why is it even important. So tell us, tell us those two things. Oh, the Enneagram, I think is a very powerful tool to help you see the way you see. So technically there's nine different types of people and it's different from other personality tests like the Myers-Briggs or Um, there's the big five or whatever. There's lots of personality tests. It's not telling you how you are like, oh, this is who you are is saying, okay, this is the mask you wear. This Mm. is the way you see the world. And I think it's really helpful because it helps people identify their default patterns of thinking, their default patterns of seeing the world. So when you're able to understand, okay, this is the number I most relate to. First of all, it feels like someone's just read your diary because you're like, yeah, that is actually exactly the underlying motivation for why I do what I do. Yeah. So it can feel kind of exposing, but at the same time, sanctifying because you're like, okay, this is where I'm at. This is who that kind of the mask I've worn for a long time. And I want to be aware of it and choose, choose intentionally the way I want to, the way I want to live. Yeah. Not like from a default mode. And so yeah, I think it's a really powerful tool for people to use. So even just gaining that understanding of here's how I see the world, here's my default mode, it can empower you to to change what you're doing or, or how, to, how, what's the, what's, I'm still trying to gain the understanding. Maybe I'm stupid here, Catherine, but I've taken hundreds of these tests and I've, I know the Enneagram. I just, I'm still trying to understand how personally it can help me unlock some of the secrets or unlock the potential that I have inside of me. So we can't change what we're not aware of, right? So let's say that you're just living your life and living your life like you are, but 
you're not aware that you see the world and you see people and you see the way the world operates in a specific way. So the Enneagram is just giving you language for the way you see. And once you're aware of that, you can kind of catch yourself going, oh, there I go again. So for me, I'm an Enneagram three. And that's something that it's usually developed in childhood, you know, personality kind of develops over childhood, but deep down, we think that we are not, we are only valued for what we do and how we perform. And so we put on this mask of performance for people and we don't even know we're doing it, right? There's a fear there that if you don't perform or don't do, the people won't love you. The truth is we are love. I am love who I am, who I really am, not anything related to what I do. But if I'm not aware that that's what I was believing, I'll just continue to live out that story in my everyday life. You know, and it's going to be empty, right? I actually, I'm hiding from true intimacy with people because I'm not showing them my true self. And so being able to go, okay, that's the way I see, oh, there I go. And that default action again, that default way of thinking, that default way of being with people. And then, then you get the choice. Is this really how I want to to be? Is this really the life I want to live? Then you get to choose whether that's the choice you want to make or not. Okay. I love how you put that. And so identifying all of us have blind spots, right? So knowing those kind of where we default at the mask that we're putting on can help us identify or be aware of the blind spots. At least we can now choose what we're going to do and if we want to change. So I love how you said that. So let's speak about this. The the podcast is called Success in South Carolina. And obviously, I believe Catherine is a very successful person and is accomplishing a lot in this world and in the kingdom, whatever. How do you define success, Catherine? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about and done some work with some people lately because, you know, our, our culture, especially in America, they want to define success by outward achievements, things you possess, whatever. It's very outward focused, but I definitely think success is an internal thing. Mm. So to me, success is a well-lived life, right? It's being able to get to the end of your life and look back and go, yeah, I'm proud of the way I showed up, right? Like I wasn't sitting on the bleachers. I wasn't cruising. I got in the game right? I showed up and I contributed and I gave my gifts to the world. That to me is success. It's really knowing who you are, knowing who God is and living into the story that he has for you. So knowing who you are, knowing who God is and knowing the the story that he has for you. Yeah. Living into that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's super powerful because it's an internal thing. It's not necessarily external. So many times in life we're chasing external things. And I think that we do that thinking that it will bring us those internal feelings. Like those external things might bring me the joy and the peace and the love that I'm looking for. But really the joy and the peace and the love is an internal game all along. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then what would your, based on your definition of success, what do you feel like are your top keys to success? If you're giving advice to somebody, if you had to give a Ted talk, Catherine, what's your topic? What are you going to, what are you going to tell people? I'm really story oriented. Cause I feel like people naturally like stories, right? Like we get story. Yeah. So I would say that if you're on this journey, like where you are right now, I think the first thing would be to stop and just reflect on your story, reflect on the story you've lived so far and be curious about what you've made it mean. You know, Donald Miller, 
He's done a lot of story work. He talks about a good story has a villain, a victim, a hero, and a guide. And so being able to go, okay, how have I been the villain in my, in my story? How have I been the victim? Is this really how I want to be living my life, right? Villain and victim are not going to get you where you want to go. As a Christian, Jesus is the ultimate hero, but he does call us to be our own heroes in our subplots, right? We have to say yes. And so being able to reflect on your own story, and then if it's not where you want to be, being able to see it as an opportunity to start making some changes. So like I said before, you know, you could fast forward to the end of your life and go, what do I want my life to be about? That's really going to give me meaning and fulfillment and contribution. And I think lastly, like if you have past issues that you need to deal with, if you have wounds or traumas that need to be addressed, like get counseling. Now, if you have, if you, if you're building a life and you're trying to focus on certain areas you're feeling stuck in, but not sure how to move forward, then that's probably coaching. They will help you get unstuck. Yeah. But don't wait until the ideal time because there is no ideal time. Like the time's now. Sure. The ideal time is now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So do there will something. never be a perfect. Right. Right. If you wait until all the lights are green until you leave your house, you're never going to leave. Right. Right. Exactly. I love that. So reflect, stop and smell the roses pretty much. And also not just smell the roses, but take a look around. I love how you said identify. How have I been the villain? Holy cow. I've never realized I could have been the villain in my own life. And uh, when have I played the victim? But if it's not where you want to be, you can make some changes. I love how you talked about that, Catherine. Is that you said you got that from somewhere? Yeah. Donald Miller. He's broke like jazz and several other books, but um, he's written a book called Storyline. And it's kind of a workbook, actually, where he walks you through looking at God's story, looking at your story, writing out your timeline and really doing some reflection on the roles you've played and then beginning to beginning to be the hero in your story. So that's where I'm kind of getting that verbiage from. And I feel like some people in life go through life thinking, I don't need to deal with the things in my past. I can just forget those. And it even talks about in the Bible, forgetting those things behind me, pressing forward. Why is it still important for us to go back and heal those wounds from the past before we move forward? I think it's important because if you still have wounds or especially traumas from your past, and you won't address them, they will continue to show up in your current life and impact you even subconsciously. Mm. People think that they can just move on and forget, but the only way through is through. Mm. You really do have to face things from the past and heal from them and in order to really move forward. I know that I've never read the book, but I think there's a book called Buried Emotions or emotions buried alive, never die, truly die. Is that the name? Have you heard of this book? Mm-hmm. So, so you mentioned the book storyline by Donald Miller. Any other books you recommend? There are so many books. There are so many books I could recommend specifically about story. Just about success in general. What what are your, what are your highest, if you had to recommend five books or three books or one book, whatever, what are your top book to recommendations? Okay. My, one of my top books is Bob Goff, Dream Big, John Mark Comer, the uh, ruthless elimination of hurry. That's a game changer. Anything by C.S. Lewis and David Benner has written a book called the gift of being yourself. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say those are probably in my top four. Oh, C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. Big, big fan. 
but I love Mere Christianity, one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, great. You mentioned stories. Those are great stories about mm-hmm. the the journey and the uh, the love story of God and all that stuff. So love it. Yeah. Uh, so let's jump into, let's pivot again. I'd love to hear more about like what type of, let's talk about your career. Mm-hmm. What type of clients do you work with, Catherine? So I work with females 18 and over all different life stages. Okay. So are there any specific things that they can ask themselves to identify if they'd be a good client or if they could use your help, your services? Like in other words, if they're at a, if they're at a crossroads of their life, if they're in their thirties uh, or forties, if they've just had kids and they're dealing with that, whatever, what are some of those questions that they can ask themselves? I think for coaching, the questions to ask yourself is how am I falling asleep to myself? Right. Or am I falling asleep to myself? Like, have I put dreams to the side? Am I on the bleachers? Am I just buffering my emotions with busy work or perfectionism or workaholism or my kids or Netflix or shopping or whatever it is, right? Have I kind of stepped onto the sidelines and is that good enough? Hmm. Is that good enough? Is that good enough for me? Um, I think those are some good questions to start asking because that's really the kind of, as far as coaching, that's who I really love to work with is that kind of woman that can relate to that. You mentioned perfectionism and I, I know we wanted to do more promos and we'll jump into that in a sec, but I want to go back to perfectionism because this is something that I've fought with my whole life. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about how does someone overcome perfectionism, Catherine? I don't know if I can give you a really short way for you to overcome perfectionism, but I think a lot of perfectionists that I talk to have this inner critic voice. You know, they have this voice that sometimes they don't even realize isn't their true voice, right? They have this voice that's in their head saying, you're not enough. Um, That wasn't good enough. You should have done better. It's harsh. Mm. And to be able to separate that voice from your true self I think is really important because the inner critic is serves a point. It serves a purpose for a while. Like usually as children, like you, you kind of develop an inner critic because there it's serving a purpose, right? It's keeping you safe or it's helping you feel accepted in some capacity. Right. But it usually ends up inhibiting your life and fully experiencing your life as an adult. So being able to understand, okay, this is, this is there. These are thoughts that I have. And really your thoughts are directing your life. So part of a big part of my work is to help, help you really renew your mind. The first way you do that is to become aware of all the thoughts in the background. I have to be perfect. Or if, if it's not perfect, then I've failed, right? There's no gray area. It's all black and white. You can go on and on about all these thoughts that create these feelings like you need to be perfect. Yeah. And then once you have the awareness there, you can decide to do something about it. Yeah. Have you ever read the book, The Love Code, Catherine? I don't think so. Oh, I highly recommend it. Alexander Lloyd, really, really good book. Uh, it, it mentions a lot of the things you just talked about there as far as uh, overcoming using uh, love and fear is kind of the opposite of love and stuff like that. Uh, all right, let's jump back into your career here. Uh, we talked about the clients you work with. Where can people find you? They can find me for coaching, katherinedaviscoaching.com. And I also have an Instagram account, 
which is Catherine Davis, 1986, where I just post things and am writing blogs for people just to have as a resource. Or if you want to look into coaching, um, we can have a conversation about that. And uh, do you recommend that they get you on Instagram to connect with you too? Or is there a better way to connect with you if they wanted to reach out? You can just go to my website and it has all my information there and you could send me a message and we can connect that way. All right, listeners, let's get out there and make our world, our country, and our community a better place. When you succeed, we all succeed. And as always, this is a friendly reminder that the left lane is for passing. So speed up or move over.